Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Breakdowns for Breakfast. I am Monster. Joining me is Danger. What's up, Danger? Hello, all. Good morning. So on this show, we have gone back and forth on some really serious albums, some more lighthearted albums. And this one, I feel like, falls right in between and holds a little special special place in my heart. And I really wanted to talk about it. We're going to talk about 2003's Results May Vary by Limp Biscuit. Now, Danger, what are your thoughts on Limp Biscuit in general? And then maybe just kind of a brief idea of what you think of this album. All right. So Limp Biscuit was first brought to me with the $3 Bill Y'all album, as it was for many millions of people. And, you know, at the time, it was good. I mean, I, I was in that that uh, that space, that headspace of, of liking that type of music. And as I've grown older, there's always been a part of me that kind of liked that section of music. And at one point it was, you don't admit that you like Lint Biscuit, but we all kind of did. And, you know, that runs alongside, you didn't admit that you liked Backstreet Boys and NSYNC, but you did. You know, go to any metal show now and they will play... Backstreet Boys and NSYNC between bands and everybody will sing along. And it's always funny to me, but all that aside, I've always liked certain parts of Limp Biscuit, and I've always hated certain parts of Limp Biscuit. Sure. Limp Biscuit is very much so. Okay. If corn was like your, uh, like if, if corn was a guy in high school, <laughs> let's put it that way. Limp Biscuit was the fratty older brother. <laughs> you know, it was the older brother that had gone through uh, freshman year of college trying to figure things out. And then in sophomore year was almost ready to fail out of school because he was partying too much and had joined a frat and blah, blah. Sure. Limp Biscuit is not my thing now. They're not. Musically, Limp Biscuit is fine. I think having DJ Lethal from House of Pain is a fun little bonus, even though I think he's probably got the easiest damn job in the world. Because, <laughs> I mean, you can't really hear a whole lot of him on a whole lot of songs. You hear him very, you know, very forward on a lot of songs, but where he's there, he is very much so there, and where he's not, he's not at all. Yeah. Live, he probably, you know, has a lot more to do. I think Limp Biscuit has more of an influence or a clout, I guess, in the industry than they actually are musically inclined. And I am going to say something that may or may not shake you to your core. <laughs> may or may not change your opinion of me. We'll see. I think Fred Durst ruins Limp Biscuit. Okay. I think Fred I think Limp Biscuit is talented way further than Limp, than Fred Durst is alive. <laughs> okay. Yep. So that's my uh my rundown on Limp Biscuit. Okay. So I will try to keep this as brief as possible. 
um, <laughs> very similar to you. To you, uh, I was made aware of them during three dollar bill, y'all. Before Faith became a single, I think I had heard Counterfeit and was immediately hooked. You got the heavy riffs, you got the rap, you got the bounce, you got the groove. I'm in. So if you go back and listen to that album, it is raw and weird and stuff gets out of tempo. Uh, mm-hmm. Fred's voice gets a little out of key. Yes, that's that yes. Ross Robinson production. That's that icky, nasty stuff that Ross likes. Going for the real. Yes. So 1999 comes around. They release Significant Other. Uh, I mean, Faith kind of put them on the map, but when Nookie came out, I think that was when everybody was like, wow, these guys are something. And, you know, you brought up Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. And like we talked about on our TRL episode on is for this was the wild, wild west. It was completely normal for Nookie to be right next to bye, bye, bye on TRL's top 10. Like Absolutely. that was just, you had rap metal and new metal right alongside the pop Kings and Queens of the time. And that plays a very important role into this discussion. So 2000 comes along, they put out chocolate starfish. And again, Roland, My Way, My Generation, huge hits. They're massive, massive, huge band. During all this time, uh, to to kind of piggyback on something you said, Fred Durst has gone through this shift where in 1996, 1997, when they're working on $3 Bill, y'all, he is angry and confused. And you hear a lot of that on $3 Bill, y'all. Once they start getting popular, they're playing to 10,000, 20,000 seat arenas. He starts to turn into more of a frat boy, like you said. And you really hear that on Significant Other and Chocolate Starfish. He starts to take on the persona, the red cap persona, where he starts to turn into this bad boy, like, yeah, I'm hard, blah, blah, blah. All of that is bullshit. Absolutely. Absolutely. And here, 30 years later, Fred will tell you all of that was bullshit. And I've even seen him in interviews as recently as just a couple years ago or a couple months ago with Bill Maher, where he basically flat out said, I was bullied in high school. I got picked on because I was a white kid that liked to break dance and I was I didn't fit in. And then a couple years into Limp Bizkit's success, I became the bully. And I can't believe I did that. And I wish I hadn't. And that's why I wanted to talk about this album in particular. Results may vary. So to to get off of Fred for a second, one of the coolest parts of Limp Bizkit from day one was their guitar player, Wes Borland. He is incredibly talented musically, and then he also has stage presence for days. He loves to wear wacky costumes and be super energetic on stage. I've modeled a lot of my playing and stage performance on West Borland. Um, he means a lot to me as a guitar player. Um, after the success of Chocolate Starfish, Wes was no longer happy playing guitar in a rap rock band. He wanted to be to do all this experimental music. If you if you look at his list of like favorite bands, it's God. I don't even know most of them. There's a uh, Godspeed, you Black Emperor, or something like that. Yep. Um, Godspeed, you Black Emperor. They're great. Yeah, they're great. Yeah, but they're not uh, for Dan- everybody. 
No, no, no. Um, he's he's toured with uh, Danny Elfman as his guitar player. Yep. Um, if you want to hear some really weird stuff, check out Big Dumb Face, uh, Blacklight Burns. These are all really cool West Borland side projects, solo projects. I say all that to say, before they recorded Results May Vary in 2003, Wes bounced. Wes said, I don't want to do this anymore. Uh, I, I don't feel like I'm being honest to myself or to the band to continue. And so when they went into the studio to record this album, they didn't have a guitar player. Right. Basically, basically it was like, hey, your contract says you got to put out an album, go to the studio and put out an album. And so that's sort of how this all started. Now, had you heard this album before I brought it up or just maybe the a single or two? I'd heard a couple songs off of it. I listened to bits and pieces of it more out of curiosity. Sure. And it's clear up front that it's not Wes, but no. I do like the music on this. I, I will say I like the music on this album. Not all of it, but I do, you know, I, I do think it's something that is good. Now I do know that they did end up and I don't want to, steal too much of your thunder, but I do know okay. I do know that they did end up getting a, a guitar player, Snot's guitar player, Mike, what's his name? Mike Smith. Mike Smith, yeah. And if there's ever a guitar player with a boring name, <laughs> you, you can <laughs> yeah. guess that it's he's not, probably going to be fairly decent. It's not super easy to uh, Google that name. No, but I do know that Fred also took on some of the guitar duties. Okay, so, and, and I, I was debating whether to do this before the song by song or after, but we'll go ahead and do this now. So essentially, when they walked into the studio, they were a four-piece band. You had Fred Durst on vocals, John Otto on drums, Sam Rivers on bass, and DJ Lethal. And when they first started, Fred was sort of like playing guitar, coming up with ideas. He couldn't always play what he wanted to play. He sort of had to designate it he would kind of be like i'm hearing this and, and give it to sam and sam would play it eventually what they did was they brought in a uh, studio engineer named elvis basket he, he's worked with a ton of bands but he he's, is, he's also he's a guitar. great producer he's yeah yeah he was actually somebody that i studied in school just yeah. a little bit but it was you know he's one of the one of the guys that actually started as a sound engineer and then went yeah. to producing, which I like that, you know, you've got your guys that kind of had their hands in all the parts of things and they use that to understand how to produce a record better. And then you had the guys that kind of came in with uh daddy's money or whatever right. at a producer level. And there's the ones that don't really make it, but Elvis was one that that came in knowing what he was doing. And so I like, so that. yes. And he is part of the reason the album sounds the way it does. I, obviously not just from the engineering standpoint, but also the songwriting standpoint, because essentially when this album started, Fred was like, I guess I'm the guitar player now. And shockingly, Fred Durst is not a great guitar player, but say what you will about his onstage personality and his, you know, whatever he does know how to dictate and produce and, you know, adjust things. Now, quick sidebar. 
Before we get into the song by songs, did you know that Fred Durst founded a company called Flawless Entertainment? I knew that he was like a CEO or something like that <laughs> of Flip, which is part of yes. Interscope, but which is part of this Flawless Entertainment group. Okay, I, I knew of Flawless Entertainment, but I didn't really know what his role was in it. I knew he had a hand in it somehow, but I didn't really know much about it. So let me tell you the bands that he signed and managed. Now, you know what Limp Bizkit sounds like. Yeah. Here are the four bands that Fred Durst had heard and loved and said, I want to work with these guys. You've got, where'd I write it down? <laughs> okay. These are the four bands that he heard, loved, and wanted to work with these guys. The Revolution Smile, Cold, Puddle of Mud, and Stained. Okay, I knew now, I knew he had a hand in stained becoming okay. stained. What do all of those bands have in common? They don't sound shit like Limp Bizkit. No, I was about to say they have Fred Durst in common. That's that's it. Fred Durst will again openly say this. He he didn't really want to be a rapper. Rap metal wasn't like his thing. He grew up listening to 90s grunge. Mm -hmm. He was very into alternative rock. And on later albums, especially on their most recent one, Still Sucks, there's very little rapping and bouncing Limp Bizkit stuff. There's, it's only like uh, 12 songs. It's only 30 minutes long. But there's like two acoustic tracks. There's one song that literally sounds like Nirvana. He got Scott Weiland to sing on Significant Other. Like, so, so I say all that to say, when you listen to Results May Vary, it's real clear that Fred Durst is writing this record more than anybody else. Mm -hmm. Now, that's the music part of it, lyrically. Now, we just talked about the whole TRL thing. During this time, according to Fred, he was in a relationship with Britney Spears. Now, Britney swears up and down that's not true. Um, she's on... There's. Uh, I got a lot of this information from a really cool documentary you can find on YouTube uh, uh, from MTV where they basically chronicled the making of this record. Um, and there's parts where Fred and Brittany interact with one another. And there's parts where Fred is on the phone and he says he's on the phone with Brittany, <laughs> but you never know for sure. Right. you know. Right. And it depends on your opinion of Fred Durst. Because I know some of his personal history – I'm kind of a Fred apologist, I guess. Uh, like you were saying, like when you were younger, it wasn't cool to like Limp Bizkit. Like you wouldn't tell anybody. I was, I didn't care. Like yeah. I was like, yeah, dude, I like this shit. I know it's corny. Um, so that's where a lot of the sad boy emo lyrics on this album come from. There he was are a good bit of that. Yes. Yes. He was getting his feelings hurt by Mrs. Britney Spears, whether in real life or just in his noggin. I don't know. But according to Fred, that's where a lot of the lyrics on this album come from. So there is something that happened during this time that and it was after it, it was during this album being recorded. I do know that that time placement of it. And it's not something if you know this, I'd be very, very surprised. Let's put it that way. Okay. So. Do you remember, and it was a flash in the pan sort of moment within uh, the pop culture spectrum of life <laughs> that we have had, 
But do you remember a uh, sex tape came out with Fred Durst? So is this that weird, like backstage groupie thing that had like kid rock and corn and all no. that, or it's just a Fred Durst. Thing? It was, it was just a Fred Durst thing. Okay. Okay. Um, maybe. Yeah. And it was one of those things that was so small and so quick. And you know, it was when sex tapes were being quote unquote leaked by all sorts of people. And so the Fred Durst one kind of went under the radar for most people, but, and this may be part of what taints my, you know, my image of Fred Durst, don't, if you will. Don't start talking about a sex tape and no, use no. the word. Taint. Yeah. Come fair on. enough. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. So that sex tape was actually with a, girl I knew from high school. I was actually really close with... What? Yeah, I know, I know. It was really close, really close, uh, really good friends with her brother. I'm not going to say the names of them, because I don't know, you know, I don't want to put anything out there like that, but it was a older sister of a guy I went to high school with. Now, his older sister actually became a model uh, before she even graduated high school, and um, and she didn't have a lot of nice things to say about Fred Durst. And it's kind of interesting that you were talking about, and I and I did zero background on yeah. this album aside from what it says on Wikipedia. And there's a lot that I learned from Wikipedia as far as who recorded stuff for this album and then right, it wasn't right. used. And I almost wish uh, at least two of those were used because I'd be I'm, very interested to hear them. I'm getting to that, sir. But finish your story. All right. So, but but to hear the whole thing about you know, his feelings were hurt and that's where a lot of the sad boy emo lyrics come from. But then to know that he went and did something like that with a friend of mine, but then to hear certain, you know, songs on the album, certain words on the album, it's like, I don't know how much I put to that. But at the same time, we have talked about not taking people's personal, you know, taking your band and, and musicians personal lives into account for your opinion of their music because then that would change what you're listening to, blah, blah. Absolutely. And so I try not to do that here. But knowing what happened with uh, with a friend's sister, you know, and talking to her about it, it's kind of like, mm -hmm. ah, what, you know. And I could tell you uh, names and stuff after we're done recording. I'm not going to put that out <laughs> to all tens oh, of our oh. listeners. <laughs> so, so, okay, so I say all that, you know, because uh, even, so... Hindsight 2020, I've I've been listening to Limp Bizkit up until today. Like I still listen to whenever they dropped a new record, I always got it day one. I I've been a Limp Bizkit diehard fan from day one. Do you get the physical medium? Uh, I didn't get the physical of the most recent one, but everything before that, yes, including okay. including this one. Okay. Um, and when I got this at the time. I was a little like, what is this? This this isn't Limp Biscuit. This isn't what I want. And hindsight 2020, knowing the story now, I understand why it sounds the way it does. Um, now, something, uh, the reason I was uh, spazzing out there for a second, I have a theory about what they should have done here. Okay. What's your theory? You mentioned Mike Smith was brought on to play guitar and he yes. was. So here's what I learned from the documentary. He was one of the first guys to audition mm -hmm. and they liked it, but they didn't like tell him to join. 
they were like, yeah, we like you. We'll call you whatever. And that was the end of it. Well, they did a hugely publicized, you know, yeah. search for guitar players. So I'm going to guess they probably signed a contract with guitar center or whoever along the way. Probably. And they're like, we've got to yeah. stop at these places, but we found our guy. And he just so happens to be from another <laughs> mildly successful band. Right. And, and we'll do a snot episode one day. Cause that's a fascinating thing. Uh, all in, in it itself but anyway um so basically they went into the studio as a four-piece no actual guitar player and they started writing this record and it was good it was okay if the the songs are like we said kind of sad boy post grunge kind of stuff not what you expect from limp biscuit so they call mike and they basically bring him in to start getting ready for the summer sanitarium tour which my brother went to this and I'm still super jealous. I couldn't go to this, but it was the headliner was Metallica and the openers were, and I don't remember the exact order, but it was like Deftones, Kid Rock, Limp Biscuit, and Linkin Park. I think it was, or maybe it was disturbed on some of it, but yeah, dude, like, totally my wheelhouse, especially in 2003, 2004. You know. It's your wheelhouse. I'm in a different garage <laughs> um it's still pretty close to my wheelhouse in 2023 <laughs> but but so anyway so they bring in mike to get ready for the tour and they kind of start jamming and they start riffing and they start writing and so what ends up happening is they write a couple of songs and in the documentary you can see this fred gets fired up and he was like this is heavier this is more intense than anything else we've got on this record we got to put some of these on this record and they show it to their uh, manager. And the manager is like, you need to scrap that other album and record an album with this guy right now. So they had like, I don't even remember what it was. It was like three weeks to do an entire album. Yeah. Guess what? That didn't happen. Of course they were like, they had to get ready for that tour. They had to finish the album. And so what I think we have here, results may vary is not a complete start-to-finish album. You have the couple of songs they were able to get recorded, mixed, mastered, and finished with Mike on guitar, and then the best of the Fred Durst solo project. And I think that's what the problem is. If you go, and I apologize in advance, this is the worst, I don't even want to say this out loud, if you go to YouTube and you search the incredible shrinking panty sniffer, you will basically find a 16 track album that are the Mike Smith track. Mm -hmm. That album, it's, it's not fully mixed and mastered. You can tell it's still rough around the edges. That album kicks ass. That is heavy, bouncy, what you expect from Limp Biscuit. You can also find a handful more songs that sound like what you hear on this record. I swear, I think what they should have done is they should have, I know all the legality and all the paperwork behind the scenes stuff, they had to kick an album out. If they didn't, they were going to, you know, yep. face the wrath of management. So, right, we've talked about we've talked about bands and musicians that have done that kind of thing in the past and Exactly. Yeah. And and so, you know, you, one thing that I think people really need to understand, especially those that are just casual music fans, it's called the music business. It's called the mm -hmm. entertainment industry. That's because there's still this is still about profit. This is still yep. about product. 
And so at the end of the day, your manager really doesn't care all that much about your quote unquote art. He cares about how much money you're putting in his pocket. So there's no creativity in a bill and a dollar bill. Exactly. So here you go. So what you end up with is this hodgepodge of songs. It's the best they could put together. And I think one of my biggest problems with this album is it does not feel like a cohesive album. It feels like a collection of songs. There is no rhythm to it. There is no ride that you go on. It is way too long, and it's a whole bunch of songs that are just put together. And I think calling it results may vary was a very smart marketing tool. I think leaning into the fact that, hey, West Borland quit. This is what we came up with instead was what you had to do at that moment. But I still think two albums, one called Limp Biscuit with Mike Smith on guitar. It sounds like Limp Biscuit, And then the call it a different band name or just Fred Durst solo project, whatever you want to call it. But separate the two and have two 13 track albums instead of one 18 bloated nonsense. Yeah. 18 track album with multiple fillers, like filler tracks, like, there were several that are there's what like three that are not even two minutes long and that's that's not needed you don't need to do that so and one more thing about mike smith just so you know everybody you know he's in the booklet and you know they say mike smith the limp biscuit guitar player he's a guitarist he only actually plays on four songs he plays on track one re-entry Track two, Eat You Alive. Track three, Give Me the Mic. And track 14, Creamer. And I will commend them that the first single was track two, Eat You Alive. I appreciate the fact that they did pick a Mike Smith track to be the first single. Yep. And all right. So let's dive into the track. And I'm not going to do, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I'm not going to do it track by track because this would be the longest episode in the world at 18, uh, sure. 18 um, tracks. It's just, it's an insane amount of tracks. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, this one was a struggle for me to get through. I listened to this album quite a few times, just in the background while I was doing stuff. Sure. I gave this album probably three or four, like full on listens. Yeah. And, there were just certain certain sections of this album. Like there are two or three songs I don't have notes on because I just checked out during them. And it was, yeah. I'm not going to put notes on this because it wouldn't be fair of me to put notes on this. And it happened almost every time. I understand what you were talking about, that this is a collection of songs that were put together. Yeah. I think it was probably what they felt was the best of what they had from each section. And then exactly. I feel like the album or the song, excuse me, red light, green light with Snoop Dogg was, you know, out of all of the, the guest artists, they were like, we got Snoop Dogg, which I'm going to say something up front here that will probably actually lose us a listener. I don't want to say <laughs> listeners because let's be real. We oh, know who no. we are. What are we doing? I think Snoop Dogg's overrated. 
I do. Uh, yeah. And, and we'll get more into Snoop Dogg when we get to that song. And I, I do want to touch on that song for a bit, but that's just what I think about him. So let's jump into the songs here. I will say if, if you listen to track one reentry, step right up, step right up, everyone. Whether you're good or bad, happy or sad, whether you're an emotional wreck or a Which starts with a little bit of a silly intro, which Limp Bizkit did that all the time. Yeah. But it does kind of kick into an actual song, or at least part of a song. And then you've got track two, Eat You Alive. Track three, give me the mic. Now, if you listen to those first three songs in a row, you would be forgiven for thinking you're listening to an actual Limp Biscuit record. While the first song and Eat You Alive vocally both have less rapping and are more singing, more screaming. Give me the mic is a straight up Limp Bizkit track about rapping and headbanging. And so this starts like a Limp Bizkit record. And I think that was smart to do it that way. But then the Fred Durst solo record starts. <laughs> okay. So re-entry. Yes, it's a skit. Whether you're an emotional wreck or a blissful speck in this black hole of an existence we call life. With very generic new metal at one point. You know, and I know that's what Limp Biscuit has done, and that's what a lot of, you know, people, you know, hip-hop, you know, rap artists from the 90s did a lot in their on their albums. Eat You Alive? I'm sorry. It's just a blitzkrieg of riffs. I mean, it's it's a heavy ass song with a little, you know, soft spot in the middle. That's you know, it's it's a fun Lint Biscuit song that doesn't feel like old Lint Biscuit, but it definitely still feels like Lint Biscuit. I think it was smart to make that the single because it is aggressive and it does have a cool, like nod your head kind of snake arm groove to it. But what Fred's doing is a little bit counter to what you would expect him to come yes. in doing. So I at least uh, uh, applaud them for trying something new there. Good music, weak lyrics. That's the best thing about that. Or that's the best I could put on that song. Yeah. But I am going to go with what you're talking about, that he was trying something different. And in the music video, I don't know if you've seen, I'm, I assume that you have seen the music, oh, yeah. you oh, know, yeah. Bill Paxton. Um, and I feel like the girl in the chair, I'm supposed to know. Her name she... is Bella Thorne. I think okay. It is. Bella Thorne. Yeah. The okay. whole thing about her in that documentary too. Yeah. Um, and I assume that that's supposed to be Brittany. Yeah. So, so again, talking about Fred Durst, I am possibly the world's leading apologist on Fred Durst. I'm not saying it's a great music video, but he directed it. So he's literally in front of the camera screaming, jumping up and down. And then he yells, cut! And he has to run back and he's yelling at the electrician and he's asking why the lights aren't flashing the way he wants them. He's like 
I can't find DJ Lethal. He's like running around the woods trying to find him. And it's like, say what you will about his lyrics and his persona. And I get that it's cringy sometimes, but I think he's a little bit smarter than people give him credit for. I'll agree with that. But as far as him as a director, he either puts out something really great, like the miseducation of Charlie so I can't remember the rest. Yeah. I can't remember the full yeah, yeah. That was actually a good movie. Or he put that in a movie like The Fanatic with uh, John let's, Travolta. Let's talk about it. No, 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 that was a it. god-awful movie. If you want a good laugh, <laughs> go for it. But, but, yeah, but yeah, to your it's point, fine. and, and I'm, I'm here trying to give him compliments, but one of the main lines of Eat You Alive is I could sniff on those panties all day. Like, no, no, please yeah. don't say that. No, and like I said, weak lyrics, weak lyrics. So, all right. Yeah. You talked about number three. Give me the mic. To a world that you never seen. When I'm feeding for a microphone, I'm a microphone thing. This is a Lip Biscuit song. Just yeah. through and through it is. It's just chugging dense new metal. It even has a little bit of a double kick thing in the bridge, which I thought was a nice touch. It does. But again, he couldn't. Okay, his lyrics are terrible. <laughs> even on this one, they're terrible. I mean, he uh, he calls out Rakim, and you know, as if he's got better rapping skills than Rakim does, and he does not, and he doesn't to the point to where he had to borrow lyrics from Beastie Boys. Pass me the mic, or pass yeah. the mic. It, you just you can't do. It's not. It doesn't work. I like the concept. It's it's a very like middle finger to the music industry at the time, and again, you've got to come out swinging on this because everybody is already either a thinks you're corny and they're tired of Limp Bizkit, or b they like Limp Bizkit, but West Borland's gone, so now they have no reason to like you anymore. Or so, c they've just checked out altogether, and you got to get their attention again. Exactly. So I get why they went for this old school, give me the mic middle finger to the music yeah. industry vibe. But I agree. It, it does it, especially now in 2023, it just comes off like kind of yeah. posery. Like, yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the issues with taking an album like this from this time period, because lyrics like this, they're very much in a certain time. It's hard to reflect back on it, but. And here's the problem. So give me the mic finishes and then track four, five, six, and seven are all slow tempo, very moody. And Fred wants you to feel sorry for him. Mm-hmm. He wants you to feel his emotions. The next song underneath the gun. turning point for this record because this is where okay this is not a traditional Limp Biscuit album this song is just very mid-tempo very straightforward chords Fred singing about being under pressure and trying to be the best he can the bridge I think is really cool like the bridge changes the melody I like that part a lot. This almost reminded me of like 
mid-career taproot or or stained way more than it does anything by Limp Biscuit. But you just came off of two songs where Fred is a raging lunatic. And now for the next 20 minutes, we're supposed to like sympathize with him and hug him. And it's hard to do. <laughs> yes, especially considering that. Okay, so number four, Underneath the Gun. It's Jane's Addictions, Jane's Addiction guitars in the chorus and Deftones, in, or Jane's yeah. Addiction in the verse and Deftones in the the chorus. And Fred Durst has very uh, self-serving, self-deprecating lyrics about how he's worked just so hard and people should give him more. No, shut up. You're Fred Durst. You got more than the rest of us. Shut up. And six, five and six. Okay, so. These are probably two you don't have a lot of notes for. No, I've, I've got some notes on them. Okay, okay. okay. So, Don Other Day. begin with that what sounds like acoustic guitar at first and then you realize it's just an acoustic guitar um an electric guitar being <laughs> being yeah uh, well actually no 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 actually down another day starts with the bass so one thing i will say about Maybe sam river is <laughs> sam rivers it, and he plays guitar on several of these tracks okay. as well if you listen to his bass playing He's actually, and that's another thing. So I understand people don't like Fred Durst. And to your point that you said at the top of this episode, Limp Biscuit is better than Fred Durst allows them to be. And yes, I agree I will with give that. you that. Yes. And, and I do agree with that. Now, however, I think we all agree that Chris Cornell is a better singer than Zach De La Rocha. Yes. But I know very few people that will say Audio Slave is better than Rage Against the Machine. So it's not always just the vocalist and what they do. A lot of times there's a chemistry aspect to it. Yeah. So I will give that caveat. But I say all that to say that John Otto is an incredible bouncy drummer. Sam Rivers is also a very unique bass player. Because if you go back and listen to their catalog, like songs like Rearranged and My Way, the bass is almost the lead instrument. Wes Borland's going on the guitar. That's all he's doing is a real simple like double tap pattern. So this song that that's all bass at the beginning. Okay. Which I thought was kind of cool. So I had a note in the wrong place. I do apologize on that. But okay. I will say that Don't make the mistake again. Oh, who the hell are you? Okay. Um so I will say that Limp Biscuit has an amazing rhythm section. And I do think that if they were placed in a different band and where they could shine a little bit more, I think it'd be great. But also at the same time, one of the things that really stuck out to me is that the bass was just funky as hell on a lot of these songs and actually yeah. gives almost more, it almost gives a boost to Fred Durst when he chooses to rap. Now, I do think that Fred Durst decided to channel his inner crooner on this album. Yes. And that really wasn't the best choice. But as far as almost over. Who that is, what it say? Who that is, what it say? What it looks like? What it looks like, baby? 
a clown as a little boy. Get my feet now on you the said I don't have a lot of notes boy. on this. But I do not, I, and you're right, I don't have a lot of notes on Almost Over. Especially not as many times as Fred Durst ends the line with baby in this song. I know. You can't end lines with baby and call it a rhyme. And yeah, he does like this it's a rhyme. on like, yes, he does this on like three different songs yeah. where the the inside of the line might rhyme with the next one, but every line ends with the same word. And it's just like, I, I don't, I don't care for that either. Yeah. And I mean, almost over, I think songs with titles like almost over should be closer to the end <laughs> of the album. And this is number six. So, yeah. So when I listen to this album as a big Limp Bizkit fan, as someone who knows the backstory and why these songs are here, uh, I, I, I've grown to enjoy um, underneath the gun, but down another day and almost over are two that I normally skip. And I'll be honest with you. If you would have told me track seven, build a bridge. The other side. Even though it's gonna come on down. I'll keep building till you come. Was a Limp Biscuit song. If I had never heard it before and you said, hey, this is a new Limp Biscuit song, I would not have believed you at first. It okay. would have taken me a minute because. This song has this beautiful acoustic guitar intro. I I don't love the chorus as much as the verses, but I think this is a killer pop song. I think this is a great song. And what's really sad is seven is one that I don't have any notes on because I had such a trouble with five and six that by sure. the time seven came around, I was checked out and it was about halfway through the song where I was like, we're still here. Okay. And it was one. And again, I do not feel like it was fair for me to have notes to present to you ideas <laughs> about his track that I just didn't care. about. Okay. So build a bridge is in my opinion, one of the better songs on this album, better Fred Durst solo album songs. Let's clarify. I think it's really good. I think the acoustic line at the beginning is familiar. I don't, it doesn't necessarily remind me of anything in particular, but it has this walking, like the, the chord progression is something that you hear in a lot of pop music. Little lead line that gives it a little bit of a Limp Bizkit flavor. But here's the funniest part. The story behind the lyrics is very fun. Please do tell. Fred was trying to get inspiration. So what he decided to do was to put a bunch of like posters of hot, famous women all over like his little vocal booth. And in particular, he kind of had a thing for Angelina Jolie at this point. Mm -hmm. So he was like looking at a picture of her and talking about her and stuff. And then apparently he had a dream that she spoke to him. And he was like, I, it even in the, the documentary, he's like, I know it's ridiculous. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I had this dream. And some of the things she said to me, I turned into the lyrics of this song. And again, to me, this is one of the standout tracks. It sounds very little like Limp Bizkit. 
but it's just a good pop song. Like I, I like this one. See, I would have liked that story a lot better. Now it's it's a fine story, but I would have liked it a lot better if their inspiration for the lyrics for their song actually came from them coming together to build a bridge for people <laughs> to get over a river. It would have been know, nice. To get over a sand now, rivers. <laughs> so <laughs> damn it. Okay, so track eight, red light, green light. Featuring Snoop Dogg. Baby. Oh. Lay in the cheese, baby. I know you're biting, biting my steeds, baby. But I came, came, came to please, baby. Don't wait, wait, lay the grease, baby. Don't flake, flake, shake the knees, baby. Your fellas mad at me, baby. Now, oh, well, I will say, knees, the first time I heard this song, um, they did this on every album. Baby. They would bring in a famous rapper to do a duet with Fred. Baby. In Together Sorry, Now. Sorry, it's just... It's, no, keep going. It was so many babies. Okay. All right. Go on. Go on. Here's here's the thing. When he did it with Method Man for In Together Now, that song became a huge hit. Yep. So they decided to continue to do that. They did a song with Exhibit on Chocolate Starfish that is not great. It's pretty piddling. Anything that, do, like, the best thing Exhibit did was Pet My Ride. And, oh, agree. Yeah. And, and that he would tell you that still too, was sure. very middle of the road. <laughs> but they did a remix of Roland featuring DMX, Method Man, and Red Man. That wasn't bad. It was it not was, bad at all. Yeah. I'm I'm I might be missing a name or mixing that up, but I just specifically remember DMX because I I was really into him at the time. So here you go. Same formula. We're gonna bring Snoop Dogg in. And if you watch the documentary. Snoop looks like he's having a real good time and they're drinking champagne and orange juice and dancing around the studio, smoking, having a good old time. And the first time I heard the song, then watched the documentary, then heard the song. I like it better now, except when Fred Durst is rapping. The beat is fine. Snoop's rhymes are fine. Fred, shut up. 100% I'm with you. And there's even songs on other Limp Bizkit albums where Fred Durst tells himself to shut up. So he knows. Yep. He knows he's doing wrong. Yeah. Well, no, that's good that he's self-aware. And he's also self-deprecating. But if you didn't know Snoop Dogg was on this song, and you didn't know what Snoop Dogg sounded like, all you got to do is listen to this song because Snoop Dogg will tell you that he's there. That's what Snoop Dogg does on every song. I like Snoop Dogg. I like the dog, the D-O-double-G. I, I like him just fine. But Can I also, you say this any wider? No, no. I, I like Mr. Snoop. He's a fine fella. D-O-G-G. He spells yeah. it funny. Come so, on. I think he's overrated. I think he's done some really great things, and I think he still does some really great things, but I don't think he does everything great all the time. You know, I think his I think his attitude and swagger and whatnot is actually part of what adds to him, you know, being now he's not Snoop Dogg anymore. He's actually Snoop Line. And so I think he went back to dog. Okay. I think he went back. Right. But this uh, quick... but but this song is actually what a dog leaves in the yard when you let it out to go to the bathroom. Quick uh Snoop Dogg sidebar. I actually saw him in concert. He opened for three eleven on one yeah. of their tours. Okay. Yeah. I saw Jay Z yeah. open for three eleven on the Sprite Liquid Mix tour. That okay. Sorry to get off topic, but I just have to say it. That is one of the biggest disappointments in my life is that I didn't get to go to that tour because it was it was three eleven and Jay Z were the headliners and Hoobastank and Jimmy Eat World. 
Hoobastank, Jimmy Eat World, and Nappy Roots. Okay. And Nappy I, Roots. I didn't even know Nappy Roots was playing. I had ended up getting there about halfway through Jimmy Eat World. It was oh, before I really oh. knew who Jimmy Eat World was. So. so you actually got to go? Yep. Damn. Yep. Yep. I did. Right. I went around and I, somebody asked me at the beginning of the school day if I wanted to go. And I was like, I do, but I'll have money. They were like, get money. And so I asked every single person <laughs> for any change they had on them the entire day. And I had enough money to buy a ticket and like half a drink. <laughs> That's all you need. Yeah. So welcome to black hole number two on the album track yeah. nine. Take it home is basically a DJ lethal beat with Fred moaning on top of it. Nobody knows the way the candle burns and I've learned to play both ends. And that's something to take home tonight. If I try yep. uh, they're trying to be 311 or Incubus on this one. Yeah, and it's not great. It's not even Track- a good 311 bad album. No. Yep. No. Uh, track 10, the only one. My will is stronger than most. I will not let you get close until I think that you deserve me. Cause that's a no go. I'm gonna hold out. So, on Significant Other in 99, they did a song called No Sex. And Fred made it very clear that I know I'm a big jock, dumbhead frat boy, but. I take sex seriously and I'm not going to do it unless it's important and means something. So if you didn't get it on that really cool song with Wes Borland's noodles and stuff, here's a really stupid version yep. where he basically just goes on and on and on about how holier than thou he is. And I could bang any woman I want. I'm just choosing not to because that's the kind of guy I am. I hate this song. This, yeah, this is one is, of those songs that I hate. Fred ruins this, this one for sure. The music is okay. I, I don't love it, but it could have gone somewhere. But ugh, yeah, this is the, one they definitely should have mm. left off the album as a whole. Yeah. So the only thing I like is there is this really, really short, very simple staccato riff guitar solo in there. I like that. But it's literally 12 seconds, and that's not enough to save this piece of shit song. No, but let me down. Heartbreak is a headache, like a toothache or an earthquake, spontaneous. If Let Me Down could be a song, it would be a Steve Miller song. (laughs) It would be Take the Money and Run. You know, that's that's all I hear in this. Yeah. I don't know if they sample it or if they sample and play the guitar. Yeah. 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 It you know, the guitar from the first first second is Steve Miller. And it's basically him rapping on top of Steve Miller. Sing rap, excuse me, sing rap, which I think shouldn't be a thing that Fred ever attempts. I think Fred should have stopped attempting period and you know it that's all i heard in this song and it was all i could get to and this was not one where they showed off their musical ability they showed off their ability to cover a song 
Yeah, it's it's not a good one. It's not a good one. I I like the production on it. It sounds big and warm, and I like that. But it's just not a great song in and of itself. Same with Twelve, Lonely World. But you don't really know, you know. It's like love. Some people get it. For some, it's just a glove that just never fit it. For me, it's just a pain in the ass. But I'm addicted to the taste of hoping it could last. Day I feel like. Guitar-wise, this is about as close to Wes Borland as the guitars ever get on this album. But this sounds like a, a late album track from a better album. Like, this doesn't, you know, obviously track 13 sounds late in the album. But no, we're right in the middle here because this yeah. is such a long album. This is another one that I just, oh, I don't know, man. I, I don't like the lyrics. I don't like the vibe. This is not one I love. So... This song, the lyrics made me cringe. I'll, yeah. I just, I didn't like it at first listen, just in the background, basically it, the music of it sounded fine, but as I paid attention to it, it sounded clunky and awkward and it sounded like they were trying to be more than they were. And they aren't were they weren't able to be better than they are and they should just be what they are, but plain and simple. So the darkness has lifted. We have a, finally found the other half of the Limp Biscuit album that we came here to listen to. Oh, for uh, me, yeah, okay. Did we come here to listen I, to it? I, barely. <laughs> Track thirteen, phenomenon. Be letting you know who, yeah, kind of feeling horny. Who that is, what it say, what it look like. Twenty eyes in my head, misfit, and I ain't never gonna change. This song is heavy. It sounds like old school Limp Biscuit. It's not as charming and fun as old school Limp Biscuit, but it I like the groove. I like that it has the like this sounds like a Limp Biscuit song to me. I like this one. This does sound like old Limp Biscuit. Once again, proving that Fred is not a great lyricist. He had to actually borrow lyrics and he borrowed um from Public Enemy. Bring the noise. He's, he's paying homage. There's a difference between paying homage and just taking from, and he just took from. Now, musically, again, sounds like Old Lint Biscuit. It does have a great good, uh, intro riff, and that bass as fu is funky as hell through the album yeah. or through this song. I it it's Old Lint Biscuit, but tuned a little bit. And I liked it. And it was one of those things that when I was listening to it, just while I was doing stuff, it was, uh, is, is this old that got put into it? And it's it just what it feels in. like. It, it Yeah, I, it, you're right. It did as much as I don't want to say it did, but it did. It just, it, it, it was a damn good song. Not a great song. It was just a damn good song. It's a good Limp Bizkit song. Yeah. Uh, and your mileage may vary on what that means. Right. And, not going to say I'm going to put it all the time, but when it comes out, I'm like, okay, this sounds like $3 bill y'all. And that's yes. actually my criticism of it is it's actually just them doing the same stamp over again. And yes, it was needed at this point in the album. It was needed as kind of a booster for it. It was them just doing what they're good at, but not doing it better. They tuned it a little bit, but you know, that bass, it's damn good bass, but it's a Limp Biscuit song. And then after that, track we get Bob O'Reilly. <laughs> <laughs> the worst titled song on the album, 
Creamer. Yep. Another one that has an old school Limp Biscuit vibe. I, I think, to your point, if Phenomenon sounded like $3 bill, this sounds like Significant Other. Like, this has a little more polish. The verses have a little bit of a um, West Portland feel to them. Break it down for a minute. And roll it on up in third gear for a minute. I got the 21s rubbing on my pants and I got girlies in the backseat rubbing on my friends and to give credit where credit's due, we've been, you know, kind of picking on the dude's rapping skills. I think Fred's verses are actually pretty good in this one. Okay. They don't sound as cringy. He's got a little bit of a better rhyme scheme flow going. It's not great. He's still not the best rapper in the world, but this one, I like this one too. Okay. So on this one, I had a hard time with this one because all I hear is Baba O'Reilly. I, yeah, I can hear that. Yeah. that. That's all. It's it's got catchy choruses, but in the chorus, it's more in the melody than actually in what he's saying. And the words didn't jump out to me on this at all. The guitar is what did, and if that's you know more of what West Borland, you're way more familiar with him than I am. Okay, fine, but I feel like maybe I heard Bob O'Reilly because it was Bob O'Reilly, and then also we have a Who cover coming up. But it's, yeah, that that's there. all it was. So you know, but then we talk about, or we we then we go on to head for the barricade. Fight for your right when you're not sure you're in a fight for your life, right? If you ain't packing any tactics, you might get your ass kicked. Even if you are a little numberhead, I'm kind of sick of being aggravated. I'm glad I'm hated. I guess I'm doing something right. That's what happened back in Columbine. Which this is the aggressive point. How? <laughs> It was not, I don't think this is a needed track, but they had to put the aggression in there somewhere. So there is actually a part of the documentary where as they're writing this song, I can't remember if it's when they were writing it or after when they were talking about the songs they had, but they talked about this being a single, this being the first single. That would have been a big mistake. I disagree because what they did release was a Mike Smith track that was a little bit left of center and they did that because they wanted to come out with something you know arms swinging guns blazing and eat you alive has some of that to it this one has even more of that to it Mm -hmm. and i think that if they would have specifically the bridge if you got the guts head for the barricade then come on down head for the barricade the, the verses have this kind of off-tempo, kind of weird groove to it that takes a minute to kind of lock into. The chorus is real simple, and it's just Fred basically saying, ha, stick em, ha, 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 stick em, which he's done on every album they've ever made. But then the bridge comes in, and for a short second, it almost sounds like thrash metal. And Limp Bizkit has never done that in any other song up until this point. I'm not saying the first single, but if they would have released this at some point in the early stages of the album, I think it might have drawn some attention. So I feel like there are quite a few songs that are not needed on this album. I feel like they were put there only to get to 18. 
I don't think that this is necessarily a song that should have been left off, but I don't think it would have hurt anything if it was. But they also needed to put another Mike Smith song on the album. I do not think that this would have been a good single to put out because what is the one lyric that jumps out in this song more than anything else? It's the word Columbine. Yeah, and that yeah, it, right. You know, shootings are such a touchy subject in this country that this would not have been a good move for them. Now, if they were to keep this on the album still after dropping some other stuff, fine. But it needed to be kind of in a different placement in the album. I don't have an issue with this song being here. And actually, I do think that the, you know, the Mike Smith guitar on it was good, was fun, was was something to actually, you know, I guess bring you back in. Especially after Bob O'Reilly. And I think maybe it's fine, but I don't think it's something that needed to still be here. This is a really good middle of the record song for that Limp Biscuit album. This doesn't belong on the Fred Durst solo project. That's fair. See, that's, that's fair. See, that's the problem. Like you you think you know what kind of vibe they're going for. But then you don't because then it goes into the other vibe. And it's so, to me, I clearly hear two different bands. And I think that's why I like this song so much is because it sounds high energy. It sounds like the band I like trying to be hype and be energetic and be aggressive, especially after so many songs in a row of this middling, piddling whininess. And then... To just dash all my hopes and dreams, they put this stupid-ass cover in here. (laughs) Behind blue eyes And no one knows what it's like To be hated Okay, so if something is decent, it is passable. But if it is half-decent, it shouldn't be passable. And that's what I love... The descriptor half decent. This is a half decent rendition of the Who. It, this should not have been a thing. This I think was a single, and oh, yeah. a huge hit. Okay, so I only think that because of Gothica, because yeah, it was thing. yeah, and this falls into a time period where it was uh, covers of big, you know, big songs. And it wasn't needed at all. Actually, I'm going to actually amend what I said before that I actually think Head for the Barricade should have been the closer for the album and the rest of this album should not have been here. Let's just, just, I'm going to just put it out there. But Behind Blue Eyes, I feel like was put on this album because it was a success elsewhere. I do not feel like it should have been on this album at all. This has been well documented. My favorite band is 311. I I adore those guys. Yep. Their cover of Love Song really, really hurts my soul. I really do not like it. And the fact that they're so well known for it, and I have to hear it every time I see them in concert, I just, oh, I hate that. But I'm not a big fan of fun songs that the cover sucks the fun out of it. 
at least in the original Behind Blue Eyes, you've got this upbeat bridge that kind of like goes somewhere and does yep. something. When my fist clenches, crack it open before I use Instead, these knuckleheads decide to continue to play the same four chord progression with no delineation and add a speaking spell spelling the word limp. Yep. This is yep. bad. This yep. is just not good. I I don't understand how or why this is such a huge song. If you go to Spotify right now, top five Limp Biscuit songs. Actually, this I, is number I have I have this album up on Spotify, and um, this song has three as of right now three hundred forty eight million three hundred three thousand six hundred ninety seven streams, the most of the entire album. Now, I do want to say something to you as a musician and any other musician that happens to listen to this when it comes out, listen to this, I don't know, a year or two years from now, whatever. If you decide that you want to put a speak and spell on your song, don't do it. Don't do it. There has never been a song with a speak and spell in it that I think that made it better. No, it, it never has. The thought that you get is, is that a speak and spell? That's what you, it actually takes people out of your song. So don't do it, people. All right. So let's move on. So, yeah. So, track six, so 17, all that easy. Basically, take it home part two. It's just a DJ lethal beat with Fred singing a little bit of a Linkin Park vibe here. My notes on that is no, just no. Nope. Nope. No. Doesn't need to be there. Now, track 18. We're going to talk about Behind Blue Eyes part two. When I heard this song for the first time, especially this this set of tracks, Behind Blue Eyes, All That Easy, and Now Drown, I'm checked out. Like yep. When I first bought the album, I was checked out by this point, and I couldn't tell you anything about it. Going back to it for this show, listening to it, and knowing what I know about Fred Durst now, if you asked him, especially at the time, he would he would tell you this song is a banger. He would think this is a great song. Here's why. This sounds like Alice in Chains, Nirvana, Seattle grunge worship. In his mind, this is what that sounds like. I don't hate it. I don't think it's great. I think it slots in perfectly on that Fred Durst solo album I keep talking about. It feels weird here as it is. I, I, don't, I don't mind it as a song by itself, but I think it's weird to end the album here. Yes, and I'm going to agree with what you've what you've said. Drown is not a bad song by itself. Drown actually reminds me of and hearing Fred's voice on it doesn't hurt this at all. But there's that live version of It's Been a While 
where Fred is like, they're yeah. just sitting on stairs. That's what it reminds me of. I feel like this could be played right alongside that right after or before or whatever, and it would be fine. And I feel like that's what Fred Durst had in his mind when doing the song. I do not think this is a good album closer whatsoever. So this album opens with a sketch followed by a single that's okay and ends with the worst choice possible. Outside. Not it's been a while. Outside. Is it outside? That's the same song. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. I, I thought it was. <laughs> it's been a while. I I don't know. It took, I'm, I was like, yeah, I remember that. Was it that song? Oh, God. I got to hurry up and remember before it's too late. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think it doesn't matter. It's still a shitty stain song. Yeah. So, okay. This was the wrong move for for closing this album out. And I really, I'm going to stick to, I feel like Head for the Barricade should have been the closer for it. And even if they left that amount of tracks, it still would have been a 14 track album, which is a solid album number. It's a long album, but it's a solid number for it. You know, give your uh, DJ Lethal a little, you know, wiki wiki song and let him have his fun. Okay, fine. We're at 14 songs. Let's end it there. Nope, we got to go with a shitty cover. Another little um, DJ Lethal outing. And then a bad choice. That's just, Drown is just a bad choice. So, okay. You want to give us your final thoughts here? So, I hope we're still friends after this. No, please, please. Results may vary. Struggles from the start. The music is flat and unforgettable, and it's amazing they ever called this done and it was released. The riffs can be fun, but it's generic rock. It's the generic rock of Limp Biscuit. Fred's performance for the most for most of this album is a disaster. It is clear that the separation of Wes had such an effect on his mental and writer's state of mind. There are moments that pick up. There are moments that disappoint. Like behind blue eyes. God, it's so bad. But the moments that pick up Eat You Alive, Moses a point uh, behind Blue Eyes. It's at least a half-decent rendition. Again, half-decent is one of my favorite because when I break it down, it's a fun <laughs> breakdown of words. All right. This is not a cover that needed to be released on an album and should have been left to live only. It feels like it's only there to get to 18 tracks. The album spends more time stammering along and hoping for the best while throwing shit at the wall, and this is what stuck. While the music isn't particularly bad, it certainly leaves plenty of room for more and better. But just like Woodstock 99, Fred makes a bad situation much worse and almost everything he brings to the party. Results May Vary comes across as a group of guys trying to hold on to the success that they had in the late 90s. I give this album a four. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. This isn't a great album. I think there are two decent, completely unique records here. Both feature all the members of Limp Biscuit, except for Wes, but are ultimately completely different. My humble opinion, use the songs you wrote with Mike Smith, call it Limp Biscuit. Use the songs you wrote without him and call it a different name or just release it as a Fred Durst solo album. And that is essentially what it is. As it stands, there is no flow to this album. It has good tracks and bad tracks and ultimately feels like a collection of songs as opposed to an actual start-to-finish album. 
I think there is a lot to enjoy here. And every time I revisit the album, I, I like it a little bit more. But I think the best thing they could have done here is embrace the two distinct sounds going on here and separated them into two stronger projects. When I want to listen to Limp Biscuit, this is not the album I turn on. I have to be in the mood to listen to Results May Vary. I will say, having watched the MTV documentary, I can appreciate this album more than I did before. And I think that if you asked him, Fred would probably say this is his most personal album. But judged solely on the songs that got stamped onto this album, I give it a five. Five. That's and, lower than I was expecting from me. And just to be clear, I, I would have to really sit down and think about it. But if not in my top 10, 100% in my top 20, Limp Bizkit is one of my favorite bands. Okay. And so when I, when I come in at a five, know that I'm coming in at sixes and sevens and eights on all the other albums. Okay. Because that's, is that a threat or? No, that's just me saying like, I am a genuine fan of this band and I did my due diligence to enjoy this record as much as I possibly can. And I'm still coming in right there in the middle. <laughs> yeah. So, Okay. You gave it a five, I gave it a four. That puts us at a 4.5 together for this album. That is our lowest rated album so far. And out of all the albums we've talked about, I think that's about right. (laughs) Yeah, Gym Class Heroes got a 5.4 and Sugar Ray Floored has a five. I think both of those albums are technically better than this one. (laughs) I think you're right. I think you're right. (laughs) So, Monster... What album are we talking about next week? One that you chose. Yes. Uh, Closure in Moscow, First Temple. Is that yes. correct? Yes. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, thank you all for listening. If you have a suggestion for an album that you'd like for us to talk about, by all means, please shoot it over. Please send it to dangerandsarge@gmail.com. Or reach out to us on social medias of some kind. Send smoke signals. I don't know you know drive with your headlights off get pulled over and say i gotta get a message to uh breakdowns for breakfast you know (laughs) it is morning if you're listening to this when it first comes out so anyway thank you for listening i hope you all have a wonderful day bye later